at it again and again and again. It is chapter four, uh, reflexive impotence, the bottom of page 25. Paul, do you, I, I like it when you go first. I feel like it just gets us in a good rhythm. Nice to, to hear your, your beautiful voice, you know? Oh, shucks. Thanks, Mike. All right, well, let's get this started. Uh, so just gonna get into it. Uh, teachers are now put under intolerable pressure to mediate between the post-literate subjectivity of the late capitalist consumer and the demands of the disciplinary regime in parentheses, to, possess, to pass examinations, et cetera, in parentheses. This is in one way in which education, far from being in some ivory tower safely injured from the real world, is the engine room of the reproduction of social reality, directly confronting the inconsistencies of the capitalist social field. Teachers are caught between being facilitator entertainers and disciplinarian authoritarians. Teachers want to help students to pass the exams. They want us to be authority figures who tell them what to do. Teachers being interpolated by students as authority figures exacerbates the boredom problem. Since isn't anything that comes from the place of authority a priori boring? A priori boring, sorry. Ironically, the role of disciplinary, disciplinarian is demanded of educators more than ever at precisely the time when disciplinary structures are breaking down in institutions. With families buckling under the pressure of a capitalism which requires both parents to work Teachers are now increasingly required to act as a surrogate to act as surrogate parents, instilling the most basic behavioral protocols in students and providing pastoral and emotional support for teenagers who are, in some cases, only minimally socialized. Uh, I just want to interrupt, and I'm guessing that that is referring to public education teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Still um. Sure. And, and then what, what is ever trying to pull any uh, disciplinary actions? Well, and keep in mind, he's doing um, like, like it is like post high school, but it is like uh, more of a uh, trade school sort of thing. Or at least that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he taught like uh, lit or English or something like that for like a trade school sort of environment. But okay. I thought pastoral meant like, agrarian and pastures what is what does pastoral mean here and providing pastoral and emotional support for teenagers i'm looking it up this is bullshit uh in the christian church concerning or appropriate to the giving of spiritual guidance okay god oh like a pasture okay okay Okay. that makes sense okay Okay. Learn something. <clears throat> yeah. Word of the day. Yeah. Just, word of the day. But not and, in the agrarian sense. And a priori means like beforehand, right? Or yes. it means yeah. like it inherently is, right? Yes. Yeah. And I just didn't know that that's, I thought that was going to be a priority. Uh, right. Because usually I, isn't Latin like in italics when they yeah. do. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know why. Well, at least, not, I, I don't want to say usually, but I think I am more used to encountering that. Than yeah. Uh, it is worth stressing that none of the students I taught had any legal obligation to be at college. They could leave if they wanted to, but the lack of any meaningful employment opportunities, together with cynical encouragement from government, means that college seems to be the easier, safer option. Deleuze says that control societies are based on debt rather than enclosure, but there is a way in which the current education system both indebts and encloses students. Pay for your own exploitation, the logic insists, 
Get into debt so you can get the same McJob you could have walked into if you'd left school at 16. Jameson observed that the breakdown of temporality suddenly releases the present of time from all the activities and intentionalities that might focus it and make it a space of praxis. But nostalgia for the context in which the old types of praxis operated is plainly useless. That is why French students don't in the end constitute an alternative to British reflexive impotence. That the neoliberal economist would deride the French opposition to capitalism is hardly surprising. Yet its mockery of French immobilization had a point. Certainly, the students who kicked off the latest protests seemed to think that they were reenacting the events of May 1968. Their parents sprang on Charles de Gaulle. It wrote in its lead article of March 30th, 2006. Um, before the quote, I just want to touch on, you know, at least in my life, I certainly, I have to admit, he's spot on. I chose college as like a safer route. Uh, it was just like, okay, I don't have to grow all the way up if I choose college. Um, and um, yeah, that's just kind of. Yeah, um, and I, I might not really be understanding him here. And maybe it's different in the UK. But if you look at earning potentials for people that have bachelor's degrees in the US it yeah. is it is still you know like yeah exactly and yeah. um uh, well, hold on. let me look up UK cuz i think damn all i can find right away is articles talking shit about UK higher ed okay and they're still in a situation where most people do not go to college um Sorry, super tangent that I didn't find the info I was looking for. Um, did you want me to, to do this yeah. uh, quote? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so this is this yeah. is from The Economist from 06. And they're talking about the French student uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, uh, they have borrowed its slogan. Oh, and t- they're talking about how they're using the May 1968 style or whatever. They have borrowed its slogan beneath the cobblestones, the beach, and hijacked its symbols, the Sorbonne University. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and hijacked its symbols, uh, in parentheses, the Sorbonne University. In this sense, the revolt appears to be the natural sequel to 05's suburban riots, which prompted the government to impose a state of emergency. Then it was the jobless ethnic underclass that rebelled against a system that excluded them. Yet the striking feature of the latest protest movement is that this time the rebellious forces are on the side of conservatism. Unlike the rioting used in the- Bonlayus. Bonlayus, the objective of the students and the public sector trade unions is to prevent change and to keep France the way it is. It's striking now, or, okay, and that's the end of the quote. It's striking how the practice of many of the immobilizers is a kind of inversion of that of another group who also count themselves heirs of 68. The so-called liberal communists, in parentheses, such as George Soros and Bill Gates, who combined, what is that word? Uh, Rapacious. What does that mean? Um, Like, relentless. uh, Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Um, George Soros and Bill Gates, who combine rapacious pursuit of profit with the rhetoric of ecological concern and social responsibility. Alongside their social concern, liberal communists believe that work practices should be post-modernized in a line with the concept of, uh, in parentheses, being smart. As Zizek explains, being smart means being dynamic and nomadic and against centralized bureaucracy, believing in dialogue and cooperation as against central authority, in flexibility as against routine, culture and knowledge as against industrial production, in spontaneous interaction and uh, auto, what is that word? Auto. That's a new word for me, sir. All right. Autopoiesis, but uh, give me two seconds. Yeah. It refers to a system capable of reproducing and maintaining itself. Okay. Um, how do we say it? Uh, auto. So hold on. Part- hold on. Hold on. I, I think I got one. Autopoiesis is what my auto- sound said. That sounds real good. Okay. Autopoiesis. All right. Um, and so that's just like a, a kind of like a self-perpetuating thing. Yeah. Reproducing and maintaining. So like it would be kind of the opposite of capitalism, I guess. Um, well, so- no, I mean, it's, it sounds like right. Capitalism is self-perpetuating. Right. But it's not self, it doesn't reproduce and maintain itself, I guess. Maybe I'm off base on that. Um, but uh like, I feel like it's almost kind of referring to, like, a self-contained. Oh, nope, I'm totally off. Keep that in because I'm totally wrong. But, yeah, it is, um, like, mitosis is an example of an autopoietic system. So just being able to reproduce it. Okay. Okay. I'll just uh, I'll just restart in here. Okay. As Zizek explains, being smart means being dynamic and nomadic and against centralized bureaucracy, believing in dialogue and cooperation as against central authority, in flexibility as against routine, culture and knowledge as against industrial production, in spontaneous interaction and autopoiesis as against fixed hierarchy. Taken together, the immobilizers with their implicit concession that capitalism can only be resisted, never overcome, and that liberal communists who maintain that the amoral excesses of capitalism must be offset by charity give a sense of the way in which capitalist realism circumscribes current political possibilities. Whereas the the immobilizers retain the form of 86 style protest, but in the name of resistance to change, liberal communists energetically embrace newness. Zizek is right to argue that far from constituting any kind of progressive corrective to official capitalist ideology, liberal communism constitutes the dominant ideology of capitalism now. Flexibility, nomad nomadism and spontaneity are the very hallmarks of management in a post-Fordist control society. But the problem is that any opposition 
to flexibility and decentralization risk being self-defeating since calls for inflexibility and centralization are to say the least not likely to be very galvanizing so so true, yeah. so true. i guess if you put it right at some point the fucking unions were able to galvanize people but yeah but but that was prior to post-fordism yeah, Right. Yeah. Right. It was, it was still a Fordist um, uh, capitalist yeah. society. All right. So on a side note, uh, just going back to, you know, referring to Soros and Gates and stuff as liberal communists uh, just made me think of how mad I am at a certain billionaire right now. Uh, he is not a liberal communist. But man, fuck Elon Musk for. Being oh. a- I, I, I think so. So Zizek, I don't know if they talk about this later. Zizek came up with that term. Uh, invented that term liberal communist. And I do okay. think it applies to someone like Elon Musk. The idea is that the, like almost like the- um, Right, that capitalism can fix itself with- like As long as you're like, you're, you, as long as you're buying free trade coffee okay. rather than whatever. And as long as you're buying a Tesla rather than a big truck. And as long as you're buying right. um, hemp made shoes rather than normal shoes, everything will work out is kind of okay. what it's about, you know, okay. and that, and that people don't need, and like I was saying, you know, the idea of like, well, we don't need unions. People just need more choice so that they right. can choose to work at the whole foods or they can choose to work at the, the Starbucks, you know, um, the problem is, is that they don't have that choice now. Yeah. And, the, and, and basically like the whole like utopian tech bro sort of thing too, you know, the whole like, yeah. okay, if we, um, as soon as we can get everyone with the Tesla and we get to, and we're mining asteroids, then everything will be fine. Right. We can still do no, this. No. We just need to mine asteroids. Yeah. It's no, for sure. Uh, on a side note also, sorry to keep fucking this, but Dude, fuck the tech workplace. It has just so infiltrated that like, oh, we have a cool place to work at with food and stuff. So why don't you just stay here 14 hours a day? No need to go home. Right. Uh, It's just crazy that like every business is trying to adopt that, not to provide a good place for their employees, but to provide a place that they can talk to their employees about not leaving. Uh, Well, and just squeeze as much productivity out of you, you know? Yep, yep. In any case, resistance to the new is not a case that the left can or should rally around. Capital thought very carefully about how to break labor. Yet, there has still not yet been enough thought about what tactics will work against capital in conditions of post-Fordism and what new language can be innovated to deal uh, with those conditions. I don't get why there are two yets in there. Um, I don't know. It, it's got, it almost feels like a typo. Right. <laughs> or, or I'm not good enough in English to understand why he did that is the other very real possibility. I hope it's a typo. I hope we're reading this book close enough that we're able to find typos. Yeah. That, that would make me happy. Okay. Sorry. It is important to contest capitals. Uh, appropriation of the new but to reclaim the new can't be a matter of adapting to the conditions in which we find ourselves we've done that rather too well and successful adaptation is the strategy of managerialism par excellence that's so true and that ties back in with what he was talking about with the whole like the bono um 
yeah, funding. Red iPod, yeah. Right, right. That whole, that's like rather, you, you know, that's adapting to the situation and thinking that this is the only way of doing things rather than imagining yeah. something new. When I think about, I'm tangenting a little bit, just going under the new language and stuff, um, but I hate the monopoly that are just just like for COVID examples, like essential workers, if we wanted to be real, what I would like to start using is sacrificial workers or like, you know, I mean, they term these things to make really shitty situations seem heroic or noble. You know, so much of it is because of the words. Like if you tell somebody, oh, you're essential, uh, it doesn't quite feel like you're getting fucked to, you know, work for $10 an hour while getting coughed on by people who are yelling at you. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, uh, has a. It was the, my favorite protests counter protest sign I've seen is, in the California one, there was a nurse standing there, uh, and she was decked out totally in like hazmat gear, so she was not being a bitch by being in public. Uh, and I shouldn't use that word. She wasn't being shitty by being in public. <clears throat> just had a sign that she was like, "Please don't thank me. Just realize that this isn't my choice, and I'm being forced to work in these conditions." Um, because I have no other choice and it's mm-hmm. just where most yep. people are yep. like people are fighting to go back to work without realizing that like there are people who honestly are in danger uh the persistent association of neoliberalism with the term restoration favored both by both both uh, not Baudrillard but Badu and David Harvey is an important corrective to the association of capital with novelty. For Harvey and Badu, neoliberal politics are not about the new, but a return of class power and privilege. In France, Badu has said, restoration refers to the period of the return of the king in 1815, after the revolution and Napoleon. We are in such a period today. Today, we see liberal capitalism and its political system, parliamentarianism, as the only natural and acceptable solutions. Harvey argues that neoliberalization is best conceived of as a political project to reestablish the conditions for capital accumulation and to restore the power of the economic elites. Harvey demonstrates that in an era popular popularly described as post-political, class war has continued to be fought, but only by one side, the wealthy. After the implementation of neoliberal policies in the late 1970s, Harvey reveals. Just as a side note, the shit he's talking about right there, for people listening, this is why I'm not stoked to vote for Biden. This is why I don't like the Clintons and didn't want to vote for Hillary. Yes, I understand that they are without question better than Trump, but fuck does it suck to be told that your options are an alt-right maniac or a neo-lib who just doesn't give a fuck about social situations. Like, it's it's very depressing, man. Yep. Um, the share of national income of the top 1% of income earners soared to reach 15%. I would, I hate how it's like per and then space cent. Yeah. I wish they would have just used the percent sign by the end of the century. Uh, the top 
0.1% of income earners in the US increased their share of the national income from 2% in 1978 to over 6% in 1999. While the ratio of the median compensation of workers to the, to the salaries of CEOs increased from just over 30 to one in 1970 to nearly 500 to one by 2000. The US is not alone in this, the top 1% of income earners in Britain have doubled their share of the national income from 6.5% to 13% since 1982. Damn, and, they, and they went hard. Is the way that I, and I'm not saying this is universal or anything, but in my personal experience, I have watched these income earners, these top income earners, make their assets by destroying other assets, by coming mm -hmm buying functioning businesses and then doing everything they can to squeeze quick profit out of it before dismantling it and going on to the next one. So only are these fuckers, at least in my experience, making way more money than I have ever seen a justification for them to make. Uh, they are doing it by destroying the livelihoods of other people. Uh, I won't name the company, but uh, the company I worked at that just shut down, uh, it shut down strictly due to very terrible financial choices made at the top that I am well aware of lined the pockets of the dude who was put in place by the investment board that took over the company. And then the company shut down. And that was a company that people had been working at for 28, 29 years. Average tenure of employment among non-part-time employees uh, was 11.5 years. Uh, and those people came in in three years and just completely destroyed a company from the bottom up. And thanks... Or from the top down, not from the, the bottom up. Down. Sorry, excuse me. Jesus Christ, yes, from the top down. And thanks to the fact that bankruptcy filings are publicly accessible, I am aware that the CEO walked away with an $870,000 bonus package at the end to cover for the fact that the company never went public. Um, yeah. That's so, really cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome shit. Awesome shit. But, you know, we need CEOs. Uh, right. Millionaires. Um, right. Of us dumb fucks couldn't get anything done without them. Well, and, and not only that, but they also like um, they couldn't possibly be compensated the way they were in the seventies. You know, right? Um, oh no, I mean, fuck! You remember how shitty it was for rich people back then? I just mm -hmm. didn't yep. going back to that time period. Yep, um, disgusting. I, yeah, seriously. As Harvey shows, neoliberals were more Leninist than the Leninists using think tanks as the intellectual vanguard to create the ideological climate in which capitalist realism could flourish. The immobilization model, which amounts to a demand to retain the Fordist slash disciplinary regime could not work in Britain or the other countries in which neoliberalism has already taken a hold. Fordism has definitely collapsed in Britain. And with it, this, the sites around which the old politics were or organized. At the end of the control essay, Deleuze wonders what new forms and anti-control politics might take. Uh, and this is a quote from, from that essay. One of the most important questions uh, will concern the okay, ineptitude of the unions. Tied to the whole of their history of struggle against the disciplines or within the spaces of enclosure? Will they be able to adapt themselves or will they give way to new forms of resistance against the societies of control? 
can we already grasp the rough outlines of the coming forms capable of threatening the joys of marketing? Many young people uh, strangely boast of being motivated. They re-request um, uh, apprenticeships and permanent, uh, uh, is that permanent? Yeah, permanent training. It's up to them to discover what they're being made to serve, just as they, their elders discovered. Not without difficulty, the telos of the disciplines. Um, and I forgot what telos means. I'm guessing just on context, the uh, reality, maybe? An ultimate object or aim. Okay, let me, let me, let me finish this off and then, and then we can get wet and wild. Yeah. What must be discovered is a way out of the motivation, uh, demotivation binary, so that identification from the control program registers as something other than dejected apathy. One strategy would be to shift the political terrain, to move away from the union's traditional focus on pay and onto forms of discontent specific to post-Fordism. Before we analyze that further, we must consider in more depth what post-Fordism actually is. And I'm super glad that that's where he ends the chapter because yeah. as I've been reading today, I've been like, fuck, do I not remember us going over post-Fordism? And right. I felt really embarrassed because I was like, dude, I feel like we haven't covered that yet but I know that that's important. God damn it. What did I miss? And I'm so glad that I didn't miss anything um, yeah. that I wasn't zoned out that it, it's going to be covered here in a moment no, for in the next chapter. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy for me to in childhood have read about the conditions. Let me rephrase that. It's wild that we live in a time that could have me, think that Fordism, like the era of Fordism was probably a better setup than what we currently have now, which is um, wild because I sure don't agree with any of the impacts it had on a large scale, at least for the quality of life that it could provide people in those jobs. I would say, unfortunately, it was superior. Like, uh, you know, one of Ford's tenets and like one of the things he did that changed so much, Ford was a piece of shit. Like by no means am I being like, oh, dude, Henry Ford had shit figured out. No, fuck that anti-Semitic quake. Yep. But anyway, just the concept that like, hey, if we pay our employees enough to buy our products, we'll sell more fucking products. I don't think that is a concern of Chinese manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, at least American companies that use China for their manufacturing. And and so I, you know, I would just say that at, at least the segment of the chapter we read today was basically about how post-Fordism is going to be much more difficult to interact with as yeah. far as getting concessions out of it compared to Fordism. And, and it's because and they did that. Um, right. Mm -hmm. And also them branding things as like it was saying earlier by Zizek, the whole liberal communists, like um, the whole, we are against bureaucracy. We're into innovation and, and all this, you know, yeah. the new, you know, them branding right. stuff as the new and how that's that's going to make it much more challenging to deal with post-Fordism. 
the only thing he didn't mention, uh, especially with like unions and shit, that I think is another, and it might come up later in the book, but I just think that is um, really shitty is the fact of how many things have been set up so that unions could never exist. Um, but the biggest thing that I have experience with is like construction jobs. Dude, no fucking site staff their own employees anymore. They use contractors for everything. So there's literally like nothing to unionize. If for even a second, you've got a hint that your contractor was thinking about unionizing, you would just drop them and do the other one because before you started, you had five bids anyway. And so it's, they have gotten so good at making who your employer is confusing that this shit will be so much harder to combat. You know, and in, in a staffing agency or a construction staffing provider, they don't give a fuck. They will fire everybody in four seconds um, because you're just a contract employee. Like you're not on benefits. You're not on fucking shit. And, you know, you do get paid better as a contract employee, but not in the long run, just in that you see that you're making 20 instead of 15 and not realizing that like that's now because you have no benefits or um, job security or anything of that nature. Um, and I think that that's the case in a lot of ways, like Uber, Uber trying to fucking navigate what their employees are to them. Uh, a lot of companies, it seems like, are setting up that their innovation is that they now have employees that they don't have to technically consider employees. And that's a, a pretty scary thing to me. Truly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that is the end of the chapter. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I, the other thing is just, um, you know, he talks about conservatives uh, in France, or I don't know if we would call them conservatives in America, you know, taking well, over it. conservatives in the sense that they're like, Hey, we want things to stay the way they stay are. The same. Uh, right. It's, it's almost like, like wanting to try to go back to Fordism. Destiny gave this great example uh, a while back where he said that um, California has built like one of the biggest solar farms in uh, the world, uh, definitely the biggest in the country. And the unions that are around the traditional, like the power plants and stuff, are like yeah. um, protesting its opening because they don't want to lose their jobs. That's the type of conservatism that Badu, I think it was, or Deleuze right. was talking about. Yeah, um, that sort of like, no, no, let, rather than let's change the whole system to, to help everyone, let's dial it back slightly to, to hold us out, just like with the coal miners in West Virginia um, yeah. or Pennsylvania being like, oh, Trump will keep our jobs, um, yeah. even though it's like, no, he won't. They're going to do automation anyhow, and we shouldn't be doing coal anyhow. You know, right. it's right. that sort yeah. of conservatism. Um, but yeah, it just sucks that one of the things I noticed when I worked in the world of campaigns was... One thing that the DNC had locked down for so long was local government because they were so much better at grassroots movements and like reaching out to local communities. And then it just sucked to watch Republicans understand that and then be able to throw five times as much money into it. So many in the last 20 years, so many smaller seats that were without question would go to the Democratic candidate have been lost due to that sort of shit where they just will outspend using liberal ideas. They'll come in, take the idea, pump more money into it. Um, and then yeah, fucking usually to better results, unfortunately, or not better end results, but for them, better results than. Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. I'm feeling good about where we're at. We appreciate everyone listening next time. We're going to be doing 
chapter five. Yes, we're already at chapter five, titled October 6, 1917. Don't let yourself get attached to anything. So we're, we're excited to dive into that next episode. So uh, thank you all very much for spanning some time with us. Have a great day. Thank you.